Grace and peace to you from our, our, the Lord our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We gather together this day to worship the Lord. The baby in the manger is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He reigns on high, for he was born to die, but he is risen. We are so thankful that you are here this morning to give glory to our God and King. We want to thank those who have gathered with us from the orchestra. Thank you for your, using your gifts for the glory of God and the glory of King Jesus. The Lord calls us to worship him this day from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This morning our choir is leading us in the praise of our King, but you are ultimately the choir. They're a subset of us, and we gather together to be led to sing the praise of our God. You'll notice in the first hymn, we're going to remain seated and join in singing the first verse. The choir will sing the, the second, and then we'll all stand together at that point and sing. Uh, you notice the lines there in the verse. That's uh, there because there's a longer pause than maybe you're, nor you're used to in this song. And so we do encourage you to take note of that and to sing with joyful hearts, with fullness of praise to the Lord. Let's sing and worship the Lord our God this day.
together. Our Lord and our God, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this day that when the fullness of time had come, you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that you might redeem us who were under the wrath and the curse of the law. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, fullness of salvation. We thank you that we have adoption as sons and daughters of the King Most High. Oh Lord, we come thanking you that not only have you sent your Son, but you sent your Spirit. You poured him out into our hearts so that we might cry, Abba, Father. We're no longer slaves, slaves of the fear of death, slaves of Satan, slaves of sin. But Lord, by your grace, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, through his taking flesh and blood like us, you have freed us from slavery and you have made us your sons, your daughters, that we might rejoice, that we might know that we are heirs, heirs of eternal life. We thank you, O Lord, and pray that this day you would receive glory from us, your people. We ask that the good news, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ might fill our hearts with peace this day, that all the fears, all the anxieties that we experience in this life will be washed away as we come to bow down and to worship. Lord, we ask that you'd be exalted today, Father, Son, and Spirit. Receive our worship. We pray this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, let us confess our faith together using the words of our Westminster Confession of Faith. Christians, what do you believe? The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did when the fullness of time was come, take upon himself man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Amen. Take your hymnals. Let us sing together verses 1, 2, 4, and 5 of Once in Royal David's City.
scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in the second verse, some 770 years before our Lord Jesus Christ appeared. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. A reference to Gideon in Judges chapter 7. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Silence, and with fear and trembling 
Once more and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're reading together verses 26 through 38. In this passage, the angel Gabriel comes and announces beforehand the birth of our Savior. Now, the words we'll be reading this morning are familiar words. Pray that the Lord will open your eyes, that you might see new and wonderful things from his word. This is God's word, Luke writes. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. This is God's word. We come now to give in response to the grace of the gospel, the Lord's tithe and our offering. I want to remind you that next Lord's Day, uh, we will be gathering for Sunday school at 930, morning worship jointly together in the gym at 10.30, and then our Christmas Eve service will be at 4.30. At that service in the afternoon, we will be taking up an offering for the Deacon's Benevolence Fund. So do plan and prayerfully consider giving that the deacons might be able to have the resources to bless those who are in need throughout the coming year. But let us now give to the Lord in light of these glorious words from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul writes this, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's give generously. We trust today with one accord. Alleluia, this is the birthday of our Lord. Alleluia, Gloria, Gloria, in excelsis, Gloria, Gloria, Deo. Gloria, Gloria, in excelsis, Gloria, Gloria, Deo. Gloria, Gloria, Deo, Gloria, Gloria, 
Alleluia, gloria, gloria, in excelsis, gloria, gloria a te. taken from Luke chapter 2, the birth narrative of our Lord. Luke 2 and verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's remain seated for the singing of our carol. We'll dismiss our children during the singing of the song.
Bibles once more and turn them to the Gospel of Luke again, chapter 2, reading together verses 21 through 38. Here we are reminded how the Lord Jesus is coming into the world, fulfilled prophecy, how he came not only to save his fellow Jews, but to save the Gentiles, the nations as well. And he came to save them by suffering here in this life and in his death. Hear the Lord's word, Luke chapter 2. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. This is God's word. Amen. Hey. 
Please open your Bibles, if you would, with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, for our homily this morning. Let's read the word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." These four weeks of the Advent season, we have been looking at several effects of Christ's incarnation upon the way we live our lives. Well, today from our text, we're challenged and encouraged to see the beauty, the beauty of an overflowing generosity in our lives. I want to begin with a true story as told by Randy Alcorn in his excellent little book, The Treasure Principle. I encourage you to obtain that and to read it. He speaks of being in Cairo, Egypt, where he was led by the Thurmans down an alley. They drove past Arabic signs to a gate that opened to an overgrown plot of grass. They noticed a sign that labeled it as a graveyard for Christian missionaries. They went to a gravestone It was scorched in the sunlight, and it read, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Now, this was not the Borden milk family, as many of you might be thinking, but a wealthy family nonetheless. Borden was a Yale graduate, an heir to great wealth, but he rejected this life of ease to bring the gospel to Muslims. He refused to buy himself any of the luxuries that he could have obtained because of the family's wealth. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars, and upon his death, he bequeathed $800,000 in 1913 terms to missions. Imagine what that would be worth today. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spiral meningitis, and died at the age of 25. This gentleman, Alcorn, dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave, and after it described the sacrifices and his love for the kingdom of God and for Muslim people, it said this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for a life such as this. I wonder if that could be said about us. Well, the tour went on. The Thurmans took them straight to, from Borden's grave to the Egyptian National Museum, to the King Tut exhibit. Tutankhamun, the boy king, was only 17 when he died. He was buried with solid gold chariots, thousands of golden artifacts. His coffin was found within a golden coffin. The burial site was filled with tons of gold. You see, the Egyptians believed in an afterlife, but an afterlife where you could take what you had in this life and take it with you. 
But all the treasures intended for King Tut's afterlife remained in his tomb for 3,000 years until they were discovered in 1922. They hadn't been touched. This man was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure. It was dusty. It was hidden in a back alley of a street lined with garbage and overgrown with grass. Tutankhamun's tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. And yet, where were these two men right now? One who described himself as a king is living in the misery of a Christless eternity. The other who lived a modest life on earth in the service of the true king is presently enjoying his everlasting reward with more treasure at his disposal than could be imagined. Alcorn ends this paragraph by saying, Tut's life was a tragic reminder because of the awful truth discovered too late in his life that he could not take his treasures with him. William Borden's life, however, was triumphant. And why was that? Because Christ was his treasure. And Christ had made him such a new man that he was able to give away all of his earthly treasure because he possessed all the treasure of Christ in eternity. Well, in our text, Paul describes a group of believers for whom Christ was their treasure. And they overflowed with generosity. Now, the context of the passage that I read to you is that Paul is traveling. He's discipling the churches that had already been planted. He is trying to improve their life in Christ. And he's collecting funds for the famine-stricken believers in Jerusalem. Now, look at verse 8 of our text with me, chapter 8 and verse 8, for a key to the text. Paul says, I say this to you, Corinthians, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, that is, the Macedonians, that your love also is genuine. Paul does something that we as pastors would be loath to do today. He says to his congregation, he says to those to whom he is writing, do you see those believers over there? You should be like them. And were I to do that today, you would criticize me for doing so. But Paul doesn't. And we don't criticize Paul, and so we welcome Paul's comparison. He's asking the question, you Corinthians, is your love for Christ and your sense of his love for you and your gospel love for others such as the Macedonians was, that you give yourself away liberally? Well, Paul says that the Macedonian generosity is a model that the Corinthians should copy and us also. Well, their generosity was a true and deep expression of gospel love. Well, how so? I want you to see very quickly four elements from our text, four marks of an exemplary generosity. Look at verse 1. It is, first of all, a work of God's grace. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. God was working in the Macedonians the grace that he had poured out so that it henceforth was poured out of their lives. The engine that drove their costly love was the new life that had been poured into them by God's grace. It was a work of God's grace first. Second, notice their generosity was filled with expressions of joy. Look at verse 2. For in the severe test of their afflictions... Their abundant joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, brothers and sisters, in extreme poverty and affliction, that's not our normal reaction. So this is a divine work of God. It is not something that we can gin up in ourselves. Notice third, that their generosity was overflowing. Paul says in verse 2, overflowed in wealth of generosity. Now again, in 
the normal heart of human beings in poverty and affliction, we don't move towards an overwhelming generosity. What do we typically do? We hoard and we collect and we preserve in order to survive ourselves. But that's not what the Macedonians were doing. The horizontal generosity that flowed out of the Macedonians was the direct result of God's vertical pouring into them of His grace of Jesus. As the grace of God tumbled into their lives, the generosity of God tumbled out of their lives. And then notice the fourth and final thing that I want you to see. The overflow to others was born out of their consecration to the Lord first. Look at verse 5. And this they did not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let me put it this way. In all of our generosity, if it is true generosity, it flows first from our abandonment of ourselves into the hands of God that he may do with us as he pleases. That's where generosity comes from, an abandonment into the hands of God, knowing that he will care for us. So our hearts are truly to be given to the Lord first, and then we live out of that joyful generosity. So then, look at verse 9 once again. With all of that, this is the famous and well-known verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become wealthy. Notice then that everything that we see in the Macedonians we see prior in the life of Christ. It is divine grace robed in our flesh. Divine grace robed in our flesh. It is his joyful delight. We're told that in the delight of Christ, he despised the shame of the cross. It's not only divine grace robed in our flesh, his joyful delight, it overflowed with the giving of all that he had to give in his life and death. And then finally, he was abandoned to his father's love. So brothers and sisters, the same things that were displayed in the Macedonians were displayed in Christ. And so we would expect that if Christ is being formed in the Macedonians, we would see what we see in our Lord. So may I put it this way to you today. If Christ is being formed in you and being formed in us as a body, there must be a life of overwhelming generosity across the face of our lives. For these Macedonians, their generosity was the overflow of their joy in God's favor to them, and it ought to be the same for us. We've been given lasting, abundant treasures for our souls. And so we are now joyfully free to give ourselves away just like William Borden did. Let me have you examine your, your heart for a moment with the children's candy principle. I think you know where I'm going. If in a children's sermon, the children were gathered and I said to the children, would you like five pieces of candy right now or would you like a whole bag of candy two weeks from now? What do you think the children would, would want? They'll all grab the five pieces of candy right now. Why? Well, children do not yet think about the concepts of time and deferred treasure. They have a hard time grasping the present in light of the future. Now, don't be too hard on the kids because you and I do the same thing. We have not yet begun to think of the treasures of Christ and of eternity concretely enough to cause us to be like these Macedonians in generosity. We need the Spirit of God to do this yet again in all of our hearts. 
In the movie Chariots of Fire, the Olympian Eric Liddell said, I believe God has made me for a purpose, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So let me ask you, do you feel, for Christ's sake, the pleasure of God when you pour out kindness, when you pour out your time, when you pour out your treasures, when you pour out your resources, when you pour out when times are inconvenient? Do you feel the pleasure of God? In short, can it be said of us, as it was of William Borden, that apart from Christ, there is no explanation for the generosity that flows out of your life? Let's pray together. Father, how we plead with you that you will form Christ in us in beautiful ways. Make us more and more like our Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen. Our anthem that the choir is going to sing works out these truths so beautifully. Please pay rich attention to this anthem. Bible one more time to the book of Isaiah chapter 11, reading the other verses 1 through 10. The Jews of old awaited the coming of Messiah, but when Messiah came, when Jesus entered into the world, we learned that his coming was to be a two-stage process. And even as we read this passage, we read it in light of the first coming of Jesus, and we anticipate the second coming 
of Jesus to set all things right fully and finally. And in the meantime, as Carl has preached, as our choir has sung to us, speaking God's word to us, that we let that glorious reality of the coming of Jesus Christ transform us into his image. Let's hear God's word, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's stand together, take our hymnals, turn to number 195, and sing in exaltation, joy to the world, the Lord is come. up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Go in that promise and in that hope. Amen. <laughs> 